Hello and welcome to Happy Place, the show that tries to make sense of where we're at right now and how we can spend more time in our own happy places. Today we spend time in the company of the master of living well, Deepak Chopra. You know, I used to switch channels in the US, Fox News, then BBC, then, you know, Al Jazeera. And I realized I wasn't looking at news at all. I was looking at opinion and they all disagreed with each other. Why bother? Deepak has been at the forefront of all things alternative medicine for the best part of four decades. And it's such a pleasure, a dream come true, no less, to spend time with him today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. And now, here's the show. Deepak, what an absolute honour to have you on the podcast. I, I've been a, a fan for a very long time, so this is a, a complete privilege. Um, thank you so much for giving us your time today. How do we find you? How are you? I'm very good. I'm uh, reinventing my body, resurrecting my soul and helping others to some extent. How have you found this peculiar year that we're living through? I think we're going through collective grief and when there is grief, there is all kinds of stages of grief. First there's uh, victimization, feeling victimized, then there's anger, then hostility, then uh, resentment and grievances, and then there's frustration, (laughs) then there's resignation, some people desperation, all of that, and others, very few find uh, acceptance and meaning. And uh, so we're seeing across the board all these different stages of what we can call grief. Yeah, I think that's going to resonate with a lot of people because at the moment it, it does feel treacherous and there's a lot of outside noise, whether that be the media, opinion around us, our own internal angst that's going on. And if there was ever a time to meditate, it would be now. Does this really loud outside noise at the moment make it harder to to go within and, and listen to our intuition, or or should this be acting as a catalyst to really get us to to focus on finding that time in that space? Well, let's say you and I are at a cocktail party, and we are next to each other, and we are speaking to each other, and we don't hear a thing in the background. There's a hum. Big hum, although at the party there are lots of people and they're all speaking. But I'm paying attention to you and I'm listening to you. But then somebody at the back of the room starts speaking about me. And my attention goes there 
and you're right next to me, I don't hear a word, okay? So what do I hear is what I want to hear at that moment, okay? So it doesn't matter what is happening around you. All the noise, all the buzz, all the insanity, all the divisiveness, all the arguments, all the ideological conflicts, everything that's going on right now, which is insane, by the way. And if you don't think it's insane, then we are insane. Mm -hmm. But everything that's happening is insane. All you have to do is pay attention to something that you enjoy. Could be chocolate ice cream or whatever. (laughs) Change your focus of attention because you only hear what you're interested in. And if you're interested in the insanity, then turn on the news. Yes, that is spot on. Your new book, Total Meditation, made a huge impact on me because I think like so many people out there, I I have a, a busy life with children and work and, and trying to juggle different projects. And my meditation practice is pretty inconsistent at the moment, um, which isn't ideal. But but the notion behind what you're writing about in this in this brilliant new book is is actually how to look at life in a meditative way. So rather than it being solely focused on that more traditional practice of, of sitting in stillness, it's, it's looking at the whole of our lives, each moment, every day, with that outlook. Can you explain what that might look like for us? Let's try something right now. Okay, so as you're listening to me, turn your attention to that which is listening. And you feel a presence. That's you. That's the real you. Mm. And it's okay. It's at peace right now. If I asked you, anything wrong? You would say no. It feels at times, and I'm speaking for myself and probably many others out there, impossible to have that even momentary pause to experience ourselves, unless, of course, we are in meditation again because of the outside noise and also of course because of of the stories that we create in our heads about ourselves our lives what we think we're good at if we think we're a good person a bad person our failures etc that it that it gets so muddled we we sort of forget what that stillness is and and who we are especially if we we don't take part in a a meditation practice daily or or very regularly how do we start to implement that thinking into our everyday when life is fast and and life is busy i used to in my much younger days i used to make a habit of stopping every now and then noticing what is happening around me, noticing what's happening in my body, sensations, breath, everything. So stop, notice, and choose. Then I would choose what I want to choose, okay? So let's say I'm at a restaurant and looking at the menu, chocolate ice cream. Okay, I look at that. I stop, I look at that. I try and feel what that would feel like if I took it. Looks delicious. Actually, if I took that little piece of chocolate, mindfully ate it, and enjoyed it, it's delicious. 
it's an experience almost of enlightenment. Okay, that little piece of chocolate. But if I unconsciously, like a sleepwalker or a biological robot, took a whole pile of that and dumped it into my body, I wouldn't be feeling well. So you can stop anytime. Notice and choose. Stop, notice, choose. Yes. So it's really about um, that self-inventory and and looking at what activities um, or or actions are habitual versus us really experiencing that moment, no matter how small or or mundane. I guess let's take it right back to absolute basics. What is consciousness? How do you explain that? This is a very interesting question, and it's discussed all the time in conferences on consciousness. What is consciousness? Many people can't agree on what is consciousness, but I'll tell you what they do agree on. So consciousness is the knowing element in every experience. It's the knowing element that I'm having a thought. It's the knowing element that I'm having an emotion, a certain perception. It's the knowing element in every experience, okay? Now, other people have used other expressions, such as consciousness is that in which every experience happens, every experience is known, and out of which every experience is made. So you say, what is the experience of this phone made of? or this hand made of, it's made of consciousness. Because if I was not aware, then there's no experience. So without consciousness, there's no thought, there's no feeling, there's no imagination, there's no emotion, there's no perception. It's the fundamental reality of our existence. It's, it's, so, it's so much to get my head around and I, and, I, and I can sit and understand what you're saying. It's just another thing, I guess, putting it into practice. And, and I think so many people out there, um, myself included at times, will feel in suffering or in pain or in angst or confused because of the perception we have of our reality. So how do we use consciousness? How do we use total meditation to view our reality at a different angle? You can start to question your habitual certainties because all the conflict in the world is actually about what we're certain about, whatever it is, communism, socialism, God, religion, economic status, And also we have metaphors in our language that the solution to every problem is a violent solution. War on drugs, war on education, or lack of education, war on racism, war on ethnocentrism, war on social exploitation, war on war, war on drugs. We have romanticized the whole notion of violent solutions. There's no creativity in violent solutions. If you just stop and ask yourself, Is there a creative solution to this? You start a different process altogether. I frequently ask myself four questions every day. Who am I? What do I want? What is my purpose? And what am I grateful for? I don't even try to answer the questions. You live those questions and somehow you move into the answers. Yes, because what you say in the book, which um, relates to both of those things you've just said, you know, asking a question without there being an answer and also looking for creative solutions is that 
A good way of looking at life or to give peace a chance um, is to look for paths which require the least amount of effort. And of course, we're sort of indoctrinated on a societal level that we have to you know, have to fight for stuff that we believe in. We have to put maximum effort in. We have to hustle to, to get what we want. But you're actually saying, look for the path that is easiest. Is that right? Yeah, I would ask you right now, what are you doing to regulate your blood pressure? What are you re- doing right now to regulate your heart rate? What are you doing right now? Right, I'm t- nothing, yeah. What are you doing right now to breathe? What are you doing mm. right now to maintain your hormones in balance? What are you doing right now to regulate your immune system? Well, what did you do from being a fertilized egg to being who you are right now? Mm. And if you don't get the answer right there, then you'll never get the answer. Uh, and do we think in this way, because, you know, obviously it's, it's worsened in a sense, that notion that we don't take the easiest route. Perhaps we never have. But is that because outside sources say sort of, you know, consumerism and how the modern world works doesn't want us to honour how miraculous and amazing humans are. So it's sort of taking that power away. Is that what it is? Yeah, it's the recycling of uh, the conditioned mind, the hypnosis of social conditioning gets recycled generation after generation and goes back a long time. You know, it goes back to the uh, Middle Ages and medieval times. So we still think uh, like tribes and hunter-gatherers, but we have modern capacities like Zoom or like Mm -hmm. like, uh, Mm -hmm. nuclear bombs, like uh, internet warfare, like biological warfare. So a mind that is still in the dark ages, but with modern capacities, spells danger. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Because there was, there was one particular line in the book that really stuck out to me on this thought that was, again, to give peace a chance, one of your, your bullet points was walk away from stressful situations. Yeah. And this one really stuck out to me, and I think will for a lot of people, because I often dive into them and I think, I've got to fix this, I've got to sort this out, I need to limit the stress, I'm the one that can, can control this. Whereas actually you're saying you are allowed to simply walk away. You know, I used to switch channels in the U.S., Fox News, then BBC, then, you know, Al Jazeera, CNN, MSNBC. And I realized I wasn't looking at news at all. I was looking at opinion and they all disagreed with each other. Why bother? So just walk away. Walk away. And again, you you say in the book that I think relates to this notion that consciousness doesn't resist itself. Could you explain that for us? You can't resist existence. Existence and consciousness are the same thing because without consciousness, there's no awareness that you exist. It's the same thing. 
awareness of existence and existence is the same thing. And existence constantly evolves into diverse expressions of itself. Look at the world, maximum diversity of species, of creativity, of opinions, humanitarians, scientists, technologists, poets, philosophers, artists, storytellers, entertainment, uh, entertainment people, neuroscientists, cosmologists. Look at the diversity that we have and just try and figure out the resource in that collective maximum diversity of human consciousness. It has the solution to every problem, including climate change, including social justice, including economic empowerment, including actually reversing some of the damage we've done. Right now, the pandemic, you look outside and actually the ecosystem is repairing itself. The birds are back. The bees are singing as well. They're back and they were responsible for 90% of the nutrition on this planet, notwithstanding industrial food production. Bees were disappearing and now they're back. Um, The air is cleaner. People are breathing in Bangalore. You can see the Himalayas from 500 miles away. Fish are returning to dead lakes. Even the canals of Venice are seeing fish for the first time. So now we should realize that There's no separation between us and what we call the ecosystem or the biosphere. In fact, these mutations are more likely to happen when the biosphere is stressed, when the genetic information of the planet is stressed. That's causing all this problem. Yes, we'll have a vaccine. Yes, it will help a lot. But the long-term solution is not just a simple thing like a vaccine. Long-term solution is we have to look at the whole situation in a way that we see the connection, real connection between what we call health, well-being, social justice, economic justice, sustainability, and a healthy planet. Unless we see that, we're back to, you know, we'll have another pandemic. And are we not connecting those dots simply due to ego? Is that what is stopping us creating a peaceful ecosystem, peaceful, um, you know, peace rippling throughout humanity. Is it simply ego that's stopping us from doing that? It's ego and money, both. Ego and money and special interest groups. And in the United States, we have 28 healthcare lobbyists for every congressman. Lobbyist is another very nice word for official, um, official corruption. That's 28 lobbyists only for healthcare. There are, you know, lobbyists for military, lobbyists for weapons, lobbyists for every possible special interest groups. The world is being run by gangsters. So how do we, how do we, right? So we, you know, we know that and we, and we know that there's corruption throughout the world and, and a lot of it feels out of our control. How do we stop fear permeating our lives? having an understanding of that? How do we live peacefully within our own human existence, knowing that there is so much outside corruption and war and um, dis-ease that we we cannot control in any way? Our foundation, the Chopra Foundation, which is a non-profit in the US, we've created a campaign um, called neveralone.club. Neveralone.club. So, if you type out www.neveralone.love, 
you'll come to this website, which is part of our nonprofit endeavor, which is creating global communities to support each other. And we are also going on blockchain and we are creating a cryptocurrency where if you support somebody, you get paid wow. for it and you can exchange this. And it's totally open. And also we have a chatbot there. So if uh, you want to, the chatbot is called PV. And it's named after a young woman, unfortunately, who died of suicide a few years ago. And she was a recording artist in Britain, actually. And her nickname was Peewee. So we named uh, this chatbot Peewee. And within a few seconds, it can tell you whether you're depressed or you're having mental challenges. And even if you're at suicide risk, and then it can refer you, it can actually help you engage, but can refer you to counselors and help you pay for it too with the wow. cryptocurrency, the blockchain. So we we cannot depend on gangsters as world leaders and uh, or business leaders. This has to be a grassroots movement across the world where people are willing to engage and help each other and actually harness our collective creativity for these problems because the gangsters were can't help us anymore. So obviously, you know, community is such an important fundamental that that we all need. We need to feel like we're part of something that we've got support and that we are with like minded people and that we can reach out for help if we need it. You know, how what can we do outside of community? What can we do just for ourselves in our own human experience to you know, stop that storytelling and and that ego from, you know, being the root cause of things like depression outside of clinical depression, anxiety, um, other mental torment, compulsive behavior, etc. How do we use total meditation to to mitigate that within our own lives? Paradoxically, by helping other people. Every time you're concerned about something, ask yourself, who am I concerned about? <laughs> it's me, right? Mm-hmm. So all my problems come about my concern for me. The moment I shift it to you and I ask simple things, how do I pay attention, which means how do I listen to you? How do I express affection? How do I tell you how I care for you? How do I appreciate what you stand for? And how do I accept you? If I start doing that to the other, it automatically helps relieve me. So compassion, empathy, love, kindness, joy, when it is shared, it relieves our stress. Mm, I think that's something that, you know, we all need to focus on because again, you know, the modern world feels like it is a place which is very much about the I, you know, I must succeed, I must do this, I must do better, I'm a bad person, I must be punished. It feels it feels like that's definitely exasperated um, at the moment. And again, you talk in the book about removing the I, removing the I, um, because that is just taking the ego out of it. And and I guess again, is that is the quickest route to that reaching out to others? Is that the way to do so? Yes, the more you care for others, the less it's about me, the better me feels. Mm, mm. The best way to be happy is to make somebody else happy, period. Yeah, it's a, it's a wonderful feeling. All you have to do is give them attention, affection, appreciation and acceptance. You don't have to buy them a Mercedes. <laughs> That's handy. Another 
thing that you, that you you've talked about in in many ways and and in this book is how consciousness awareness um, meditative practice allows you to understand that you are experiencing an emotion you are not the emotion and even though I know this intellectually I still get caught up in this one all the time and I will spiral off in a direction of anger or, or or feeling low and forget that that emotion isn't me it's just something I'm experiencing um and I wonder if you could just talk about that a little more because it's something I'm fascinated in and it's something that I really want to grasp for my own life, as I'm sure many of the listeners do today. The very fact that you can watch an emotion tells you that you're not the emotion, right? If you can watch an emotion, you're not the emotion. So instead of denying the emotion, watch it. And the more you watch it, you will see it dissipates. It comes and it goes. And in fact, you can't even hold on to it. In fact, if you try to hold on it, you suffer. So just watch it. And the more you watch, and then there comes a stage where you watch the watcher, and then you're totally free of it. Because mm. at first I was like, does this mean I'm not going to feel emotions if I'm that, you know, step back? But you feel them more. More, but they also transform in the direction of empathy, love, and joy, and compassion, and sharing. Yes, and again, that leads us to thinking about our habitual actions because often when we feel things like rage, it's usually habitual rather than being rooted at anything that that really matters. And I, I can say that safely about my own life. I know those moments that I will spiral into anger and it's habitual. And And again, how do we rebuild those neural pathways so that that habitual activity lessens and we make new neural pathways that lead us to empathy, compassion. Is that just practice? It's practice, but being a little more reflective. If you have a firm conviction of a certain idea or a belief, you know, people have these limiting beliefs. I'm not good enough. I'm not attractive enough. I'll never be successful. I can't lose weight. Ask yourself, is it true? Then ask yourself, am I 100% sure If it's true, then ask yourself, why do I think this is true? Are there other possibilities? What's the opposite? The more you reflect on that, then you realize that for every choice, there are infinite other choices. And Deepak, is that again about finding stillness? Because it's something that we absolutely do not honor in the modern world, not necessarily globally, but certainly in the Western world. It's all about busyness, achievement, a fast-paced life. And we don't honour stillness and, and what it can bring. What does stillness mean to you? What do you personally find in silence and stillness? So stillness is the gap between experience. Between this thought and this thought, there's a little gap. Okay, between this perception and this perception, there's a little gap. Between this emotion and this emotion, there's a little gap. Between this sensation and that sensation, there's a little gap. The gap is the gap of stillness, which we don't notice right now. Even to speak between these words, there's a gap. Otherwise, there's no syntax, there's no grammar, there's no meaning. The words would be, and I'm accused of that, they say word salad. Okay, so this is word salad. We don't understand the thing you're saying. But the words don't all come together, right? There's a gap. 
which means there's a stillness between each word, which actually creates the story. So what is the stillness? What is the gap? It's a field of infinite possibilities. It's also unpredictable. If I ask you, what's your next thought going to be? You can't tell me. It's unpredictable. It's a field of infinite possibilities. It is creative. It is evolving. And it is organizing your life right now, the stillness. Okay. And if you don't pay attention to it, then you'll just be another biological robot asleep. Yeah. Yes. I, I can see that. And I've witnessed more recently in those moments where I have meditated or just paused and, and had that moment of reflection, um, that I, it's been a bit of a reset for me as well. You know, I do think it, it, it gives you that clarity and perhaps energy to, to move in the direction that, that is the right one for you rather than, you know, on the other hand, I can be very reactive. And you know that in those moments, you've completely ignored the stillness, you've completely ignored the, the silence. And, and another thing, I think we, we don't honour, well, we don't honour it at all in the modern world, is what you call the body-mind. So this full connectivity within our, our human form of the mind and the body. And quite often, we talk about and think we're experiencing the mind doing its thing over here and the body doing its thing over here and and we don't see that it's a whole how dangerous is it to to see them as two separate entities well the majority of the world still does that i remember when i wrote my first book on the mind body connection uh, i was vilified and criticized for it and i used to ask people then how do you wiggle your toes if there's no connection between the mind and body you know you start with a thought and you end up with wiggling your toes so there must be connection mm. but then i realized that even that phrase mind body connection was wrong the body mind is one process just in the same way as mass and energy is one process or space and time is one process or wave and particle is one process one thing and that process is consciousness. So we experience the mind as thoughts and images and emotions. We experience the body as sensations and perceptions. They're the same thing. They're fluctuations of consciousness. Once you understand that, then that still point around which the whole, uh, T.S. Eliot spoke about it, that still point around which the whole world revolves becomes very obvious. Yeah, you, you give a, a great example of this again, how we miss that connection by asking your readers to visualize a lemon being sliced just in your head, That's not right. in reality. And then you'll soon see that your your mouth starts to water and there it is, you know, and, and that was such a wonderful example. And, and we can all see and we'll all have, I guess, a, a bespoke physical weakness that is, is prone to flare up if we are experiencing stress, whether it's migraines, constipation, a tense neck, whatever. And again, you know, we, we sort of missed the trick there that, that mental stress, because, you know, we're not under physical stress like we may have been hundreds of years ago, hunting or whatever. You know, we're under mental stress, but it manifests physically. But I think, again, we, we perhaps don't honor that as we should. See, every physical sensation has a mental component. So, you know, if you're hungry, because the physical sensation is, I'm starving, okay? You go to the bathroom, pee, because the physical sensation is, 
the bladder is full. But the mental interpretation is I need to go to the bathroom. You go to sleep at night, the, the physical sensation is sleepiness, but the intention is I want to go to sleep. So it's inseparable. There's no event that happens in the body that is not happening in the mind. There's no event that's happening in the mind that's not happening in the brain or the body as a whole. The mind thinks in English with an Indian accent only in the brain. Otherwise, you have a thinking body in a thinking universe, which is the ultimate reality. Um, not to use this as a personal therapy session, but how I experience this in the worst possible way is I I get these nighttime panic attacks. So say I have a new job in the morning, I'm working with someone I haven't worked with before, or it's not you know a project that I've come up with. I'll go to bed intellectually knowing tomorrow you're safe. You can do the job. It's going to be fine. You might even enjoy it. But my body, I don't know if this is through a hangover mentally of, of inexperience, my body goes into panic. So I, I, my heart starts racing. Um, obviously, sleep does not arrive. And my body kind of goes into this, like I'm running a sprint, like I'm, I'm, I'm really, you know, I'm Usain Bolt and my heart is racing and... And it's, you know, it's obviously a mental sort of torment. Um, and I can really feel how that's all working together. And in those moments, I feel slightly out of control, if I'm honest. Like my, even if my brain's saying, look, you're safe, my body kind of still keeps doing its own thing. And I'm, I've spoken to lots of other people that have experienced the same. And obviously there are millions of people out there who have panic attacks due to the, the stress of the modern world. What is the way to mitigate that? How do we rein control or if it's the opposite letting go in those moments where we feel completely out of control well um, many ways that you can do that many innumerable ways so one is before you react to any situation you press the pause button and you observe the reaction to react that's it you observe your reaction to react and that breaks the circuit and then you do whatever you need to do that's one way okay a second way is observe the panic observe you cannot change anything unless you're aware of it okay so yeah. you observe and you feel it you feel it because if you go into denial that thing builds up even more yeah it okay? does <laughs> it builds up even more so you observe it and you feel it and you feel the sensations till they dissipate this is a very interesting thing you don't have to visualize or bring light or golden rays of divine being there just feel it. And if you feel it, it dissipates. Why? Because awareness by itself is healing. Yes. And that goes back again to your go for the easiest route, which is not That's to resist, it. is just to go, okay, I can see that I'm panicking. Fine. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I have had that experience and I have noticed that it does dissipate um, way more quickly than if I I'm again, like you've just said, trying to visualize some sort of archangel floating over my bed, etc. Um, and on the flip side of that, looking at the body mind, if stress can physically manifest in in ways that are inconvenient or cause us pain or suffering, of course, then seeking out stillness, meditating, finding that peace is going to then manifest positively physically, right? Yes, but our essential nature is in that gap. And that gap 
doesn't have a form, which means it can take any form, right? Only the formless can take any form, right? Only the formless can morph into an experience. Yes. Every experience that we call a form is a phenomenon. And every phenomenon is actually the formless experiencing itself as this sensation, as this thought. So actually returning to the gap allows us to reframe and reinvent everything in our life. Mm, that's powerful. It's a powerful thing to hear. And I think many people will, like myself, go, wow, that, that's a possibility. This is about reframing things and, and practice. And does discipline come into this, would you say? Yeah, the more you do something, you start to break your habitual certainties, your habitual ways of thinking, feeling, speaking, and behavior, which is what life is all about. Yeah. It starts with a thought, then a feeling, then a, a word, and then we act. That's the sequence. When we look at just our physical form, you know, many people have huge problems with feeling comfort in their own bodies because again we've been indoctrinated to perhaps believe that they're faulty they're embarrassing there's something wrong with them how do we align the body and mind because we know intellectually that it is one but if we feel there's a separateness if we feel like our body is faulty our body is wrong there's something wrong with me i'm embarrassed i'm ashamed how do we how do we start to to navigate that to find peace the body is not a noun, it's a verb, mm. okay? So at one point, as I said, it was a fertilized egg, then it was a zygote, then an embryo, baby, toddler. So we say, I'm my body, which one? The one that you had as a teenager or the one you had last year, the one you're going to have when you get old, infirm and have Alzheimer's, which one are you talking about? Mm. There's no such thing as a body, first of all. It's a process. It's a body-mind process. Secondly, if you want to change how it appears, if you want to change, then just practice a few things. Get good sleep, manage your stress, do some exercise, breathe deeply, engage in healthy emotions like love, compassion, joy. Enjoy a walk in nature and experience lightness of being. Lightness of being. All problems are either in the future or in the past. Okay. If I'm totally in the presence of my being right now, nothing wrong. Okay. So it's, it's all conditioned. Everything we experience, our suffering is a conditioned response. Yeah. Not our pain, our suffering. The difference. Pain is a way to self-regulate the body. If I didn't feel pain after an injury, I would be reckless or I might lose a limb. But so pain is a biological process, but suffering is a emotional, psychological and disconnect with your true self. So often it can be labeled as, as simply as a bad habit. Yeah. Mm. It's really good yeah. to know that. Cause I think when you put it, 
really simply like it's a bad habit you think gosh you know I I do have autonomy over this I can take the inventory to then work out how I make that change and 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 to look at life in a different way you know I've done so many of your meditations online over the years I did one today in fact and they've brought me that stillness um, so many times and often you will include mantra within your meditation what what can mantra uh, deliver us how, how can that help us in life the mantra takes your attention away from your personal story and distracts you from your personal story which is basically the basis of all stress so you know there's an upward stroke of meditation which is your internal dialogue thoughts like look, look at the waves on the ocean a wave needs an upward stroke and a downward stroke and before it rises again there's a still point for a moment and then the wave rises. So the upward stroke is all our thoughts and all our st- stories and all our stresses. The downward stroke is the mantra which takes you away from that. And then there are moments in mantra practice where there's no thought, no mantra, which means neither upward stroke nor downward stroke. You're in the still point of the universe. Mm, I love that. Um Gosh, I I can't thank you enough for for your time and energy today. Like this for me is such a moment. Like wow, I can't believe we've just had that wonderful time to talk together. I'm I'm so grateful, um, and I know that my listeners will just take so much from what you've got to say. And again, thank you for writing another sensational book because it was it was totally beautiful to read. So Deepak, thank you so much. Thank you, Fern. Very happy to talk to you. Thank you very much. Thanks again to Deepak. I can't believe it. I, I'm still in shock that Deepak has been on the podcast. Absolute dream come true for me. If you're interested in his new initiative of championing positive mental health support, you can find out more at neveralone.love. What a beautiful idea. And you can also broaden your horizons by looking back through the archives of Happy Place, if you fancy it. You can do that when you subscribe for free on your podcast app of choice. Please do. It means a lot to us. A massive thanks again to Deepak, to the producer Matt Hill at Rethink Audio, and to you for listening. So appreciated. Big love. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.,